Chapter 20 of Down in Water Street by Samuel Hadley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 20 A Glimpse of the Work. I would like to give the reader, as he is seated in his comfortable room perusing this book, a glimpse of our work as it is carried on from day to day and from year to year. We live in the mission. The two upper floors are given up to the living rooms and the lower floor to the chapel and we have in the rear a small kitchen where we feed thousands of hungry men every year in fact no one is turned away who comes to us hungry we have a large coffee boiler and willing friends are around to attend to those who need help and thousands come to us who perhaps have not had a bite to eat for days they are always received kindly and no questions are asked and such food as we have is given them upstairs is our home that is where my beloved wife and our dear missionary mrs lamont are and here one will find a great deal of social life here the converts meet and we try to make everyone feel at home some of the converts are at our home every day and the dinner table is generally crowded it is a great thing to have a man who once was happy in a lovely home with friends gathered around him supplied with ample comfort but who has lost it all through drink and who for years has known nothing but free lunches and low restaurants come into our dining-room we think it is a blessed gospel to ask him to our table and have him sit down to a hearty and wholesome dinner and supplied with clean napkins and no questions asked one time not long since a lady visitor from a distant city said to me why mr hadley what nice-looking people these are seated around us i am astonished to see such fine people i said to her don't talk so loud everyone here has a record except my wife and you and our missionary the longest one is twenty years in the penitentiary she was so astonished that she nearly forgot to eat her dinner the doors of the water street mission are open from early morning until late at night and it is a veritable refuge for discharged convicts drunkards outcasts and men and women in every stage of moral and physical wreck many by the very helplessness of their condition are induced to hear and hope long since dead revives though they have only come in for a night's lodging they call on christ and are saved then it is our part to stand by them and help them grow in grace and get so that they can earn an honest living this is the most difficult problem we have to solve we have no labor bureau nor in fact any organized method of securing work the best plan that we have ever tried the one we have used most and have cause to depend on is to teach men to pray that they may get work and then to go and hunt for it of course men who have betrayed every trust would be glad to have someone get them work but we have found that a bad plan we have found by long experience that if a man is soundly converted to god he will get work as soon as the lord thinks him fitted for it and by the time he has walked over this town and wears out a pair of shoes and has been turned down for a month or two and finally has been driven to god in despair for aid he begins to realize what it costs to get work and what he has lost or thrown away meanwhile we stand by him and encourage him the men attend the meeting every evening and tell of their trials and victories the greatest strength of our meetings is the testimony of the converts it is recognized as the drawing power to cause men to take courage and turn away from their drunken lives and trust jesus this dear name jesus is the alpha and omega of our gospel he that hath the son hath life so the son whose loving presence is ever felt and seen in our meetings is our ideal and as he is continually spoken of and held up to the sinner's gaze the holy spirit reveals him to men and the simplest can understand and accept the friend of sinners 
Our meetings are held every night and at three o'clock on Sunday. They are invariably led by one of the converts. This work is distinctly of its own kind. I have never seen a rescue mission like it and do not know of one. We cordially invite pastors and friends from outside to come to our meetings and are very glad to see them, but we do not need them to help carry on the work. There are not enough nights in the week for those of our converts to lead who are fully able to take charge of the service. I am praying now that some other work may be opened soon, that I may have more room for grand, redeemed drunkards to be free to work for God. On our free supper nights, the splendid-looking fellows who pass through the congregation with the great heaped-up trays of bread and meat and the steaming pots of coffee are all our own men, who came needy and dying to our mercy seat, where they found Jesus. During the past year, 1901, more than 46,000 people attended our services, the largest part of whom were homeless men and outcast drunkards. Over 3,000 came up and knelt at our mercy seat and prayed for themselves. We have on an average from 35 to 50 redeemed men present every night in our congregation. We rarely have time to hear all who wish to testify of their salvation from lives of drunkenness and shame. The writer visits Sing Sing and other prisons and in the public meeting invites the prisoners to come to hear him when their time expires. Generally from four to five hundred come each year and some testify each night to having found Jesus. This kind of work is very difficult and expensive but it pays, and I am thankful indeed to have a gospel which is strong enough and tender enough to go to the very mouth of hell itself and claim a victim for God. Ninety-nine men out of a hundred come here because they are absolutely dying. They have not a cent or a friend on earth and are unable to get a cent unless they steal it, and their clothing is scarcely fit for a ragman. Poor fellows, bankrupt mentally, physically, and morally, they come forward to our tear-stained benches and Jesus meets them there and they make a start. Would that I could convey to the readers of this volume an idea of the needs of these poor lost men and women. Satan has a terrible hold on them through long years of habit, but the light enters and we stand by and help and pray and love and do all we can for them. I fear sometimes that Christian people do not appreciate the far-reaching results of our work down here, or we would not have to make such struggles for money to carry it on. Most of our converts have come from homes of love and plenty and were considered by their parents to be on the highway to success when they started out on the road of life. But they were swept down by some awful temptation and their downward course was rapid. I have repeatedly seen men saved here while suffering from delirium tremens. Sometimes they are so drunk that they have to be helped up the aisle. Sometimes men are saved from drinking, smoking, and chewing before they rise from their knees. The tobacco question is a difficult one and not easily to be disposed of. Some men get under deep conviction about their tobacco, and if they do not give it up, they fall, while others equally conscientious have no scruples about it or seem not to have any. One of our grand men was a fearful drunkard when he came here. He seemed unable to get help but for a short time. The last time he came up for prayers, I had to send him to Bellevue Hospital with the horrors. This man was a perfect fiend after tobacco. After he was converted, he would pick up cigar butts in the street, cut off the ends, and chew them, because he could not buy any weed strong enough. He had work in the street sweeping department, and after he was saved, he became so ashamed that he would look all around before picking up cigar stumps to see if he was being watched. Then he went to God and asked him to save him from the habit. He went for a week without it, and one day while sweeping the streets, his agony was so dreadful that he thought he could stand it no longer. He looked at his watch, and it was nine o'clock, and as he was near a tobacco store, he said, 
When it is ten o'clock, I will go and buy a plug of tobacco. But when ten o'clock came, he forgot all about it, and he has never wanted a chew since. The dear Lord saw that he was about to yield, and in his tender pity he removed the desire forever. I have been unusually blessed with co-workers since I came here. Mrs. Sarah Sherwood was with us for ten years after we came to Water Street. Mother Sherwood, as we all called her. Probably this woman has shaken hands with more drunkards than any other woman in the city. She was of a distinguished Connecticut family. Two of her brothers have been governors of their native state. The converts of the mission who knew Mrs. Sherwood will never forget her. She helped to bear their sorrows and to share their joys. They all leaned on her in time of trouble, and backsliders always found in her a willing ear and a heart full of sympathy. At the same time, she dug them out, and if they were living on false hopes, she was quick to detect it. No one could more lovingly or skillfully uncover a liar or a fraud than she could, and after doing so, no one would stand by them more lovingly and faithfully, helping them to right the wrong. Her sweet and gracious presence was well known in all the dens and dives about here, and when she entered a saloon or house of evil resort, the swearing and vile talk instantly ceased, and the barkeeper would not wait on customers while the mission lady was present. She procured hundreds of dollars from the merchants in the lower part of the city, and so amiable was her manner that invitations were extended to her to come again, and she was not slow to accept them. Mr. Franklin Smith was also with us all this time, a tender, modest, lovable man, mighty in faith and prayer. He never knew the evils of drink, but he sympathized deeply with those who did. He died shortly after Mrs. Sherwood. Mrs. Mary W. Bentley was also a missionary for some five years. She lived here, and her love and faith for lost men and women were boundless. I never saw her out of patience. She was drawn to men only because they were sinners sinking down to destruction and needed a friend. She was a great sufferer for months before her death, but always prayed for us to the last and sent messages of love to those whom she loved and had led to Jesus. A book could be written of either of these devoted Christian lives. These ladies had ample means to support themselves, but chose to come here to work because here is where the sinners come and here is where they can be reached. Our present missionary, Mrs. Lita M. Lamont, our faithful and tireless friend, has been with us for over five years. My beloved wife and Mrs. Lamont are the only ladies who live in the building. One of my assistants for five years was Mr. Harry E. Prentice, a redeemed man from England, who about a year ago went into business life, but he still holds his connections with us and often leads our meetings on Sunday evenings. Our present assistant is Mr. John H. Wyburn, who was saved in this mission while very drunk over 13 years ago. Three years of this time, he was superintendent of the Bowery Mission, and we are thankful to have him here now and we trust that he will remain as long as we do. Our trustees are John S. Hyler, President, B. Def Curtis, Secretary, R. Fulton Cutting, Treasurer, W. T. Wardwell, Walter M. Smith, the Reverend J. Frederick Talcott, S. W. Bone, Colonel A. P. Ketchum, A. N. Ryerson, and Christian F. Teachin. The reader will notice that our Board of Trustees comprise some of the grandest Christian men in the city of New York. I would be glad to speak of them individually in this book, for they richly deserve it. The love and patience and generosity with which they deal with the writer cannot be spoken of here, but I feel I must say a word about our president, Mr. Hyler. Who can ever measure in words what a blessing he has been to this work? He came to us years ago when we were struggling for an existence. He was first brought to Water Street by Mr. C. H. Bernard, one of our beloved leaders. 
It was supper night, and it happened that on that very night our funds were exhausted. That was about 14 years ago. The writer had informed the boys who composed this motley crowd that the supper money was exhausted and they need not come next week. He was sorry and was ready to cry, but the dear fellows relieved him by saying, We know you are sorry, Mr. Hadley, and we know you would give it to us if you could, and we are thankful for the suppers that you have given us each week during the past year. They spoke out in the meeting. At the close, the usual invitation was given, and twenty-six men came up for prayers. Mr. Hyler sat among the congregation, a very interested spectator. Just before we knelt for prayer, he said, What are you going to do now? I said, We are going to pray. Brother Hyler, pray for these poor fellows. Then came a silence, and I supposed I had made a mistake. But very soon, a tearful voice began this petition. O oh Lord! Dear Brother Hadley says, pray for these poor fellows. Dear Lord, I need praying for as badly as they do. Oh, Jesus, help me and save us all. Never had I seen such an effect as was produced by this earnest, honest petition to the throne of grace. Dear Mr. Hyler wept, the poor drunkards around him wept, and the Holy Spirit came down. Quite a number were saved that night in answer to this heartfelt prayer. From that night to this... Mr. Hyler has furnished the money for our free suppers once a week. The cost is about $500 a year. Brother Hyler loves men with the spirit of the master simply because no one else loves them. He loves them because they are down. How many lessons has the writer learned from this devoted, busy, hardworking child of God? Often when business cares seem to overwhelm him, he takes the time to have me come into his office and tells me of some poor, distressed man who has fallen and fallen and fallen and perhaps has written him a letter, abusing him to the full extent of the English language. With tears in his eyes, Mr. Hyler says, Oh, Brother Hadley, how can we get hold of this poor fellow and bring him to Christ? He loves his fellow men. By this all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John thirteen thirty-five. End of chapter 20. End of Down in Water Street by Samuel Hadley.